scripture reminds us to seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. But how can we do this on a daily basis? In this series, we're exploring Crosspoint's core value of earnestly seeking God. Together, we're training and practicing in spiritual disciplines like Bible study, prayer, fasting, and Sabbath rest. Together, we're focusing on the disciplines that draw us into a deeper relationship with God and strengthen us spiritually in all areas of life. Together, we're being equipped as passionate followers of Jesus to renew our community and world for Christ. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It's the word of the Lord for us today. We are continuing a series today where we have been exploring our core value of earnestly seeking God. And we've talked about Sabbath or rest. Last week we talked about meditating on Scripture and how important Scripture is to our walk with God. And we opened this series talking about this battle of the flesh and the spirit and that the spiritual disciplines are pathways or mechanisms that help us to walk in step with the Spirit of God, with the ultimate goal that we would, we would bear fruit, that we'd all be a tree and we'd have fruit that would bless other people. It's a way that we live out the commandments that Jesus gave us to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So the goal is to bear fruit, but we always have to remind ourselves we're talking about these, that the spiritual disciplines are the pathway, they're not the destination. And I'm gonna, we need to say this every week because when they become the destination, they become problematic for our walk. When they become rigid rules, they actually start to stunt our growth in Christ. And it's easy for those things to happen for us. And so we have to be careful, left unchecked, they actually bring us kind of back into bondage. And we have to remember the words of Paul in Galatians 5 when he says, it is for freedom that you have been set free. So we're meant to be free. These spiritual disciplines are not meant to be rigid rules. So I, I don't want you to misunderstand us. And part of that is there's multiple spiritual disciplines. They're not just one. There's multiple ways. And this helps us not get too stuck in one. Let me give you an example. If I were to drive from my house, uh, I live in South Ontario, like Archibald and Riverside, that way. If I were to go to Trader Joe's in Chino Hills, there's a number of different ways I could get there, right? I could take the 60 to the 71, go down, get off on Grand. I could take Riverside Drive to Edison to Grand. That. I could do the dairy roads where I can kind of go as fast as I want. Um, and, you know, they're starting to put lights up in there too. I mean, oh, it's the worst. Anyways, but you could do that route. Here's my point. 
If I decide the freeway is the most, is the best way to go, I'm a freeway person. Because I took it one time and it happened to get me there quick, even though it's technically the farthest way to go. The freeway's not always the best route to get to the shops. It depends on the time I go of the day. It depends on the day. If it's 8 a.m. on a Monday, I'm thinking the freeway's probably not the best way to go. I might be better off going Riverside Drive. We sometimes pick one thing and we stick to it forever. And the pathways, these ones we're talking about, we're supposed to engage in all of these at different times and different seasons of our lives. They help us to not get stuck. They create in us kind of a balanced diet. You know, sometimes you just need some broccoli, even though it's just the worst. Um, right? Or cauliflower. I can't even, don't even get me started on cauliflower. And today, we are talking about everybody's favorite spiritual discipline. Fasting. Well, I, come on. Where's the clapping? <laughs> Listen, I know what you're thinking. I, because I thought this already. I did us a favor, and I canceled the donut holes today. Okay? I know, right? Because you got to learn. I'm just kidding. There's donut holes. We're talking about fasting. It's actually not the easiest thing to talk about. Fasting, in terms of how the Bible understands it, almost always is talking about refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. You can fast from other things, and we'll talk about that later, but in terms of how the Bible is talking about it, Jesus' words, he's talking about food. And so when we, when we work through this, I want you to kind of keep that in mind. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at this passage because Jesus has some interesting things to say about fasting. And we're going to look at where it's found in this larger conversation he's having, which is interesting. And then I want to look at kind of the Bible as a whole and say, is fasting show up anywhere else? Old Testament, New Testament. And then we're going to talk about what do we even do with that today? That was then and there. What about here and now? So that's, that's kind of where we're going to go. So I hope that you're ready as we jump in. Jesus is teaching, if you have your Bible open, if you have a red letter Bible, you notice there should be red everywhere. This, this discussion on fasting comes right in the middle of what's Jesus' greatest sermon ever recorded, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is blowing minds, kind of, on how he's talking about these. He's reframing the Torah, the law for the people, and he's challenging some traditions. He's challenging some of the authority, the religious leaders of the day, and he's kind of pushing at it. And he's trying to get through the surface stuff. He's trying to get down deeper into what the law was really getting at. He's trying to dig into the heart, which is the same thing that the spiritual disciplines are trying to get at. And if you, if we had time to kind of go through the Sermon on the Mount, which we don't have today, but we should do at some point, is Jesus does a lot of stuff like this. Hey, you've heard it said, but I tell you, and he's kind of doing this thing through the whole thing. You've heard it taught like this, and maybe it was like this, but I say to you, and he kind of reframes it. And as we get to chapter 6, where he talks about fasting, he's been talking about two other things that are really important, two other kind of key things for the, the Jews of the day. He talks about giving, and he talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting. And he talks about all three of them in a very similar way. He uses a pattern for all three 
that I think it's worth noting, and it goes something like this. So when you pray or give or fast, so he's, there's an expectation you would, you know, they would do these things. Then he says, hey, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it like the hypocrites. We'll talk about that in a second. So there's a negative thing, but, but do it like this. So he introduces it, and then there's, hey, don't do it like these people, but instead, he gives some instruction. And he does that for giving, and he does that for prayer, and he does it for fasting. And I say that because Jesus is talking about all three in a very similar way. All three matter. He's not saying, well, you should really give, because that's good, and you should pray. Fasting, mm-hmm, you know, whatever. They're all kind of treated equally. Now, this is, this is where it gets uncomfortable, right? A little bit, because as a church, and I'm saying the church at large, I'm not talking specifically about Crosspoint right now, we do two of the three pretty good. The church knows how to give. Man, the church meets needs. The church, the church steps in for the needy. We send relief. We build buildings. We see ministry go. The church gives. It's incredible. And this church gives so generously. It's amazing. And the church of Jesus Christ knows how to pray. We pray the Lord's Prayer. We intercede for people. We, we do these things, right? And fasting. Mm. I don't know if we lost it from the translation from the original language to English. I don't know what happened there. We don't engage it as much. I'm not saying people don't. I know there's people in here who fast. But in general, we don't focus on that as much as the other ones. And I'll get to some of my suspicions later. What I want you to think about, why? This isn't meant to be condemning to us. It should make us think, though, what happened? And if it's important, why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we talking about it enough? So I want you to be thinking about that. Let's jump into Jesus' words on fasting. These are Jesus' thoughts on fasting. First thing, Jesus assumes his followers are already fasting. Right? He doesn't say, if you, or one day if you wake up and you decide to fast, he says, when you fast, Whenever you fast, it's similar to the thing Paul says in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about the table. Whenever you take the bread, whenever you take the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you would do it, remember it. There's an expectation that they're already fasting. And the Jews did fast. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders fasted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. It was built into kind of how they lived out their faith. Just as much as they prayed and they gave, they also engaged in fasting. And so there's an assumption that it's already happening. And I want to say this, too. Jesus isn't condemning fasting. He has some harsh words to say here, right? Don't do it like those guys. But he's not an anti-faster, if that's a word. He is concerned about how it's being practiced. That's what his concern is. And Jesus talks about hypocrites. Now, when we say hypocrite, we tend to think of someone who says one thing and does another, right? Is that generally true? Is that kind of, or you say something and you don't do it, 
right? So here's an example. If I said everyone's only allowed three donut holes after church, cadets, right? And then you see me out there with 13. A, a baker's dozen. Okay, you got to get the three. If I have 13, you'd say, hey, you're a hypocrite, Danny. You told us to take three and you took 13. And I'd say, I don't know what you're talking about, right? That would be a hypocrite, right? Nobody, <laughs> and someone who's a hypocrite drives you crazy, right? They're just the worst, right? Uh, and, and I've done this too, so I'm saying that to myself. So the question is, is that what Jesus means? So in that case, the, the Pharisees or the religious leaders would be people who say they're supposed to fast, they're using the words, but they're not actually doing it. But the problem is, if you read it, that's not what's happening. They are talking about fasting. They are doing it. What Jesus is talking about is hypocrite really gets to this idea of a pretender, an actor. So the problem is they're saying the right thing, they're doing the right thing, which is great, but they're doing it for the wrong motive. Their heart is not in the right place. They are doing it for the applause of people. They're doing it, it talks about they look somber, they disfigure their faces, and you're like, oh man, Joe must be fasting. He looks like he's about to die, right? They, they wanted, and, and that's your reward. The moment that people see it, Jesus says, you have received your reward in full. So here's what's interesting. For Jesus, you can say the right thing, do the right thing, and still be a hypocrite. <laughs> That should make us think a little bit. I'm convicted by that. It's not just whether we say, do what we say. Why are we doing it? See, Jesus is digging deeper. He's getting at the heart. And Jesus shows that the reward for fasting is connected to the motivation of one's heart. And so he says, hey, if you want to do it like that, you have your reward. The moment somebody applauded you or thought, oh, there's the reward which tells you that your fasting was not for God, it was for men. But Jesus says, hey, if you're going to fast, don't make it a big deal. It doesn't mean nobody could ever know that you're fasting. But do it for your Father who's unseen, and He will see that, and He will reward you. It's a different motivation and we see in scriptures like Deuteronomy 4 and Hebrews eleven six, they'll be up on the screen, you can see these, that God wants people to seek him. God wants to be found. God is not hiding from you. But notice Hebrews eleven six: anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's the reward that Jesus is talking about that you will find. But if we're doing things for the applause of people, then we already have our reward. So the question now that I think we have to explore for a second is, okay, so why, if we're supposed to seek God through fasting, or there's an opportunity, a pathway to do it, why? Why would we do that? That's a great question. I'm so glad that you asked that. I'm going to give us like a quick, we're going to have to move fast through a bunch of Old Testament passages, New Testament, I want to make a case and show you that fasting is all over the scriptures. We're going to start in the Old Testament. How fasting has been practiced. So in the Old Testament, fasting was, all, was used for, for revelation, for God revealing himself. We see this. This is the first time fasting is explicitly mentioned, which is Exodus. That should be, sorry, 34, 28. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. 
And he's up there and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights before the Lord. And God reveals his written word, puts it in stone. And fasting is a part of that. A second one, for ceremonial or preparation of repentance in Leviticus 16, on the day of atonement, the day that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people, everybody in the community was to fast on that day to prepare their hearts. We see fasting for healing. This is 2 Samuel 12 where David has an inappropriate relationship with Bathsheba and a child comes forth from that and that child is sick and David says this, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. So we see fasting connected to praying for healing. Times of distress in Esther chapter four, there's an edict that's gonna destroy all the Jews that are in Persia. And they call a fast and they weep and they lament before the Lord and they have sackcloth and ashes and they are humbled saying, God, do not let any more affliction come on us. We see fasting connected to times of distress. Protection in Ezra 8. Ezra is leading a group of people back from Persia, back to the Holy Land, and they fast so that God would protect them on their journey back. And then a last one, another one of repentance, but outside of Israel, in Jonah. Jonah goes and gives this killer message to the Ninevites, pretty much like, hey, God's gonna destroy you, good luck. And they fast, every one of them, from the king to the dog, animals included, it's hardcore. And guess what? God relents. God shows mercy. So even outside of Israel, fasting is a part of the culture. What about the New Testament? Great question. We see Jesus in Matthew 4. Jesus, the Son of God, can do all this cool stuff. Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights as he's tempted by the devil. Preparation for ministry. We see that the Pharisees and John's, uh, the disciples of John fast. We see in Mark 29, Jesus says, hey, that kind of uh, unclean spirit only comes out with prayer and fasting. Oh, I'm running out of breath trying to talk about this so quickly. Two more. In the early church, post-resurrection, we see fasting still happening. In Acts 13, the leaders of the church of Antioch, they're worshiping the Lord, they're fasting together. So in the early church, it starts to get connected to worship and prayer, and then God would send people like Barnabas and Paul out from there. God would call people in the midst of that seeking. And in Acts 14, the last example, we see that fasting is included where Paul and Barnabas are commissioning and sending out leaders. There's, this is not all the scriptures. There's a lot more. And in the early church, we don't have the time to get into that, but the early church continues to fast. Here's my point. It's all over the place. Here's the conclusions I draw. Fasting is absolutely biblical, but tricky. There's no command that you have to fast. So you don't have to do it. And yet it's all over the scriptures. Something to think about. Fasting has played a key role for the Jewish people and for Christianity. Fasting is one way to seek God. It's not the only way. Do not hear me right. I'm not telling everyone to go fast for 40 days or that you have to fast once a week. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it is one pathway of many. Fasting forces people to feel their humanness. In those passages I was talking about, oftentimes it's connected to situations that are beyond people, so they humble themselves before God, before the Almighty. And what's interesting is that though there's no formula, if you do this, then this happens, God often responds in the text 
to his people fasting for the right reasons. Something to think about. So that's then and there. What about here and now? Where do we go from here? Here's a couple of reasons why I think we got here to today, why we struggle. If fasting's biblical, if it's helpful, if it's historical, why haven't we been practicing it, right? It's the awkward question we have to ask. Here's one thing. We love to eat. I'm thinking about food right now. I can't stop thinking about the donut holes since I mentioned it. Right? We love to eat. We, we're made to eat. Like, we've got stomachs and stuff. Like, our bodies need food to survive. So not doing it is difficult. It's hard for us to have self-control. Secondly, I think in the last 50 or 60 years of Christianity, in an effort to not be too legalistic or too rigid, and in a way to make Christianity seem not too difficult, not too hard, that we've lowered the bar. I don't want, I don't want, we don't want to talk about having to read your Bible and pray and like fasting. Oh my gosh. What's a visitor going to think if we say you have to not eat, you know? It's too painful. It's too difficult. It costs too much. Well, Jesus seemed like he had a lot of pain. He suffered a lot when he went to the cross to take our sins. And then he says, oh yeah, (laughs) pick up your cross and follow me. So I think we've gotten away from some of these things. This is hard to hear, but it's true. And we wonder why the church is full of a lot of kind of like people who don't know the Bible and are not living out their faith. We've, we've lost these pathways. And so I think we need to think about that. And in a culture of excess, I've got more food in my fridge than I know what to do with, right? Fasting seems silly. It's hard. We have so much here. It's a challenge for us. Although, right, if our doctor says we have to fast for a blood test, right, we're like, I'm not going to have that cup of coffee tonight, right? Or some people do intermittent fasting. My challenge to myself and you is why am I not doing that for a spiritual purpose? It's getting quiet. It's all right. Here's why this matters. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. The discipline of fasting offers us the opportunity to long for God in a very real and tangible way. When you are hungry, you feel it, right? It's hard to ignore your stomach. So when you're fasting and you're getting hungry, you're like, "Mm," and then you're supposed to redirect to God. And because our bodies long for food so much, you are going to be talking to God a lot, which is good. That's the point. We're redirecting. I I feel the pain. I turn to God. I feel the pain. I say the prayer. We connect it and we go back. And what's happening is you're doing something. You're forming a spiritual habit. And you know what's going to happen one day when we engage in these disciplines? Is something's going to come your way next month, in a year, in two years. And because you have been training your body to turn to God, that thing's going to happen and you're just going to whoop, talk to God. You know why? Because you've been training your body and mind to do that. And you are going to find that the battles of the future are won in the disciplines of the past. The success you have in a week is because of things you were doing a year ago. This is why the disciplines are a pathway. They are not the destination, but they are equipping us to be the people that God wants us to be in the future. 
That's why these things matter so much. A few practical things start to close. Fasting naturally connects with prayer. We don't just not eat. That's just dieting. <laughs> so don't just like, all right, Dan, I'm going to fast. I'm just going to not eat. That, that's just dieting. It needs to connect to something. Think about it. Um, when you, like I said, when you feel the pain, say the prayer. It could be the Lord's prayer. It could be the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you say that when you feel that. You say that prayer. It could be something from the Psalms. Something that you can remember that's not difficult. We're trying to redirect our attention, not just focus on our hunger. Secondly, fasting is not a guarantee that God will answer you in the way that you want. Hear me. That's not what this is. And I will tell you, we went, Kaylin and I went through a season of fasting. We were in a really hard time in our lives. We, had, we just didn't know what to do. And we fasted for a long time. And then the thing that I wanted to have happen didn't happen, and I was so angry at God. God, I fasted, and, I, and the moment I said it, I knew. God said, you were not doing that for me. And it was so convicting. It is easy to get off course with this, so hear me right. It's not some guarantee that God has to do. What God promises is to be with you and to reward those who seek him with his very presence. Fasting can apply to more than food. We are not, I'm not advocating anybody fast who should not fast for health reasons. That's not what I'm saying. There's a lot of other things to fast from. Pick one. We live in an excessive culture, right? You could fast from the Super Bowl. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <clears throat> you could fast from chips. Oh my goodness. I could take down a bag of chips. Um, but don't fast from something that's easy. Like, I'm going to fast from, I can't even think of something. I don't know. Exercise. <laughs> yes. Fasting is not a tool, is a tool, it's not the goal. I say this over and over. But done with the intentionality and humility, fasting is a mechanism by which God bears the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Here's what's really amazing. We are, in a few weeks, approaching the season of Lent. Lent's a season where we take a 40-day journey with Jesus that moves us to the cross, to Good Friday, and then to his victorious resurrection on Easter Sunday. This is the season where the church globally, historically, uses these disciplines. It is a season where the church historically fasts. Not for 40 days, that's, not, that's what I'm saying. We are going to get an opportunity to start to play with these things that we've been talking about. And I want to encourage you to join us. We're going to have some things available that our whole church gets to participate in together, to not do this alone. So I want you to think about Sabbath and Scripture and even fasting, as hard as it is. What might that look like to seek God in that way. And so I want to ask you, as we're getting ready to close, are you facing tough decisions? Are you not sure which way to go? Is there something in your life that is way bigger than yourself? Are you grieving? Are you broken? 
Are you praying for healing for someone that you love or for yourself? Are you praying for our community to experience the presence of Jesus? Are you feeling the weight of your sin? Do you want to be closer to God? Do you want to see God do something? What would it look like for us to turn our hearts to him and seek him? What would it look like to maybe use a discipline of fasting connected to that? We don't have time to read it, but there's a passage in Joel 2, verses 12 through 17 that you should read. And in that, it talks about rending our hearts, not our garments, and that God is calling them to a fast. And everybody's included. The ministers, the elders, the kids, everyone in between. And the line is this, who knows what God might do? And that's my appeal to us. Who knows what God might do? Here's what I think we would encounter him when we seek him. And we might see God do things that we never expected. And so I want to encourage you to think about fasting as a discipline. In light of what Jesus Christ has done for us that we're going to come to in a second, in light of the resurrection, in light of the Spirit of God being poured out into us, why would we not do all we could to earnestly seek God, individually, but together as a body of Christ. And this is something that all of us can participate in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it's challenging. Fasting is not an easy thing to talk about. We don't have to fast but God we want to do all we can to seek you God there are things in our lives right in this moment that are so much bigger than ourselves that we don't know what to do with there are decisions that we are going to have to make that we don't know the right way God we pray that you would Help us to understand that these spiritual disciplines are pathways to talking to you, to hearing from you more. And God, we thank you that we get to come to, the, to your table in a minute. And we are reminded of a meal that nourishes and satisfies us and that only comes through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. So God, we thank you for your work we thank you for your Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray that we would be open to how you're speaking to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.